And I'm James. And we're your hosts for Not, Not Another, Another Shakespeare, Shakespeare Podcast. The podcast that takes neither itself nor Shakespeare very seriously. And this episode is our season two wrap-up slash first birthday party. Woo! Woo! Because we've been podcasting for a whole year. A whole year. Entire year. A mm. lot has happened. Yeah. Between... 2021 and 2022 it doesn't feel like it but it has it it feels like a lot longer than a year if i'm honest it does that's true that's a fact yeah when we started the podcast we were in lockdown now we're not in lockdown yes i i don't think delta had had come in yet i think we were still in like alpha beta range of of covid variants we were still early in the greek alphabet yeah yeah we and and now we're on Omicron, which mm. I know is just the next letter that they got to, but it really does sound so much more ominous. It does. Than Delta. It I, sounds like, you know, like the evil villain in a story and mm-hmm. it's like Project Omicron or something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's the name of a Bond villain's lair. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to the Greeks, but that's a, that's a death letter. Just sounds just sounds ominous. It does. Yeah, it's true. I, did, I want like I don't know enough etymology to say, but does our word um, ominous come from the Greek letter omicron? It does. It means ominous time because Kronos <laughs> means time. Hey, there you go. I I mean I'm sure um, some of our listeners will correct us. <laughs> Somewhere Greek scholars are. Don't go to school. <laughs> don't go to school and say that, kids. It's not accurate. We don't. We think we're pretty sure it's not accurate, although maybe you never know. Yeah, so a lot has happened in the last year. Not least, eighteen, nineteen episodes of this podcast. How many are we up to? We've done twenty, I believe. Twenty, twenty episodes. Yeah, we have slowed down a little bit. I would say from. I mean, look, when you're in lockdown, let's be honest, you have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, we did a lot of recording. You, James, had more time for editing at that stage yeah. as well. Um, and we we moved house. We moved across the country. We had yep. big stuff. And we both started new jobs. Yeah. And yeah, we both have been like, I think particularly autumn of 2021, we were both so busy. Chock-a-block. Chock-a-block with yep. work. And then we were able to travel for Christmas, which we couldn't do the year before. So we are yeah we're kind of thinking ahead to what what stuff is going to look like next and we want to keep doing the podcast but we need some help from you to do that so we'll come on to that but first things first we want to just toast a year of podcasting one whole year cheers to us Ting. <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are distance over a table yeah <laughs> i'm sure you can put the sound effect in later yeah yeah james producer extraordinaire Yeah, so we've we've been podcasting for a year, and we thought what would be fun to wrap up season two, um, this was James's idea, was to rank the plays that we covered this season in a in a very crude best to worst kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Um, everyone so loves a good ranking. Everyone loves a good ranking. Yes. Um, so just to to recap what we covered this season, the plays were Measure for Measure, Richard the Second, The Witch of Edmonton, Taming of the Shrew. Tamer Tamed, The Winter's Tale, and Twelfth Night. And Troilus. And Troilus and Cressida. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. 
All right. All right. So James, what is what is your definitive ranking? Am I am I going one to five or five to one? I think I think start with like do like a like a classic countdown. Start with you know the the bottom of the list and go up to one. Oh geez, that's hard. I thought I think in advance now. <laughs> you, you can play along at home. So num- number eight in your list, James is. I think I'm gonna think I'm gonna mix this up. Okay. Um. I got a, an interesting. Can I ask you a question? Yes. Because it might inform one of my answers. Or okay. Is that cheating? No, that's that's fine. You're allowed. To, you're allowed questions. R two v T and C. I like the way. <laughs> I just. I really thought it was going to be a Star Wars question then. R two D two versus C three PO. Versus C three R two D two. Obviously, obviously, R2. obviously. Who likes C three PO? No one answers that question any other way. Apart um, from C three PO. Him. Yes. Even yes. then, he's got his doubts. <laughs> He's a very doubtful robot. He is. He is. He's got a lot of doubts for a, for an android. All right. So, Richard the Second versus Troyes and Cressida. I think I probably would rank Richard the Second higher. Troyes has a wacky factor that I appreciate, and I know we dragged it a lot on the episode, but I, I there's something about wacky plays that don't make sense that that really speaks to me, um, because I am a wacky person. But I think if I was, if I had like a like a season program in front of me, and I was going to choose to see, yeah, one of which them, one you go I'd, for? I'd choose Richard the Second. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I've got my list now. Drum roll. James, your number eight play. Number eight play. We know what it is. No surprise here. It's Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we even have to justify that, really. No, I just not worth it. <laughs> not not funny enough for how it misogynist is for a comedy is, right if you're gonna have <laughs> if you're if you're gonna make a play about domestic abuse better be funny right I, like there's nothing there's just kind of nothing redeeming about it not really it's not funny enough it's not it didn't 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 work for me not enough shrews <laughs> they could have piled you could have piled in rodents. some rodents they could have they could have yeah. there could have been some rodents yeah they didn't even bother with the rodents no. No. All right. Tame of the Shrew, number eight. Yeah. Very good. I, I agree. I'm, is that I, your number eight? That too? is also my number eight. Okay. Yes. Tame of the Shrew. Yeah. Because obviously... you didn't have to write yours. You just know in your head. You're like, dump, dump, well, I'm, I'm sort of taking notes as I okay. go. But yeah. Tame of the Shrew is, is I think, my number eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Number seven. Number seven. See, I have gone for Measure for Measure. Ooh. All right. Interesting. Why? I don't really remember that much about it. And again, it was one of these comedies that wasn't that funny. Mm. So I'm judging it perhaps unfairly by like what I want or understand from a comedy, which isn't okay. what you've already explained many times to me. <laughs> That's not what comedy meant. Yeah. But I go in, I see the word comedy and I have an expectation that I'm going to have a little chuckle. Nothing from, I mean, you know, it didn't really work for me either. Yeah. Fair, fair. All right. No chuckles. Therefore, no dice. Number seven. Um, I think, I think Troilus and Cressida is my number seven. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I do. I again, as much as I I appreciate a wacky play, and I know that there are people who are like ride or die for this play because of the the satire of it. I guess I I just am not. I just don't. I don't like it. <laughs> Mm. I don't I don't see anything like redeeming enough in it 
that I yeah. would be psyched for a long about play it. as well. Right? It's, it's a long, long play. It's a lot of speeches by a lot of dudes, and I just whatever satirical points are in there, I think could have been made in like a third of the running time. Mm. Here's the ultimate question: mm. Would you rather see a production of Troilus and Credit uh, Creditor? <laughs> Creditor, Troilus and Creditor, <laughs> starring Shakespeare as himself as a lone <laughs> shark. Um, Troilus and Cressida mm-hmm. um, at the theatre yeah. or just like put on Troy the DVD if you want your Trojan War fix. I look, I really don't think that any stage production of Troilus and Cressida can improve on Brad Pitt's 2004 butt. And that's what you want. That Trojan is what, War. That's what I'm here for. If I'm going to have to. Also, no know. fake horse in Troilus and Cressida. Right? Where's the Trojan horse? Surely. Sorry. You're so angry, you're knocking plants over. <laughs> I knocked a plant over. Surely, if you're going to depict any part of the Trojan War, the horse is like. Marlo would have put the horse in. Yeah. Marlo would have had the balls to put the horse. Marlo had balls. Marlo had balls. And he. He genuinely, I think he would have put the end of the war in um, mm. where Shakespeare was just like, oh shit, it's too long. I better end it now. Yeah. Here's, I mean, who goes, Hector. there's a war. Let's, you either, it, um, to my mind, you think, okay, we're either going to start on how the war starts or how the war finishes. Not just like, yeah, bang in the middle. Mm-hmm. People love the middle of wars. They really do for you some know? reason. Yeah. For some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It's. I, and I think I said this on the episode too, like I really am here for avant-garde styles of storytelling. I don't buy that that like Aristotelian dramatic structure has to be there. I don't think that we need like a, a perfect kind of narrative arc hero's journey thing every time. I am really interested in a war story that doesn't care who won the war. Like I think that Mm. could potentially be really interesting. I really, really, like, my expert opinion is that that's not what Shakespeare was doing, right? I don't Mm. think that this is some kind of, like, grand dramaturgical experiment for him. I think it's just a bad play, and we have to allow that that perhaps, shock horror, Shakespeare wrote some bad plays. Mm. How dare you say such a thing against the almighty bard. I'll be shunned. I'll never get my... Never get my indefinite leave to remain in the UK now. <laughs> How dare you? All right, should we, anything else Troilus related or should we move on? No, I think that's it. Let's hear, what's your number six, James? Number six, again, is Troilus oh, and Cressida. Yeah. As, as we've just discussed. As yeah. discussed. Any, any additional comments? No, I think we covered it. Okay. I think we covered it. All right. I, um, and I think this will surprise you. I've got Twelfth Night in my number six spot. What? Mm-hmm. I thought you said that it was on your favorites. It is. It's up there. I but but what? there are other plays that I like better in this season. So in in of of the mix in this season, there are other plays that I prefer. And people do have some really legitimate critiques of Twelfth Night that like aren't aren't necessarily true to my experience of the play, but that I do feel I have to take into account. Okay. It, like you know the the treatment of Malvolio is really bad. Um, I think in terms of performance history of that play, and that's not something we talked about in the episode so much, but it can be a very kind of transphobic and homophobic play in terms of the way it's performed. Um, yeah, but like 50% of Shakespeare's comedies have got... That is true. <laughs> gender yes. switching, you know, yeah, not that gender is true, switching, but, but you know for, what I mean. For some reason, Twelfth Night kind of attracts those readings um, with greater frequency, or th- those sorts of interpretations. 
Um, so yeah, I think I, I like Twelfth Night. I have a lot of happy memories connected to Twelfth Night. But in terms of the list from this season, there are others That's that I That's interesting, because when we did it, we said it, you said it was one of his best. It, I mean, it's... it's or maybe it, well, it's you think the play in of, of itself is very strong, but I, the, yeah. the, the, the kind of play history of it is what drags yes, it down. Yes, and it's, it's relative to other plays on the list, I think, is okay. part of the issue here. Um, interesting. So yeah, yeah. Number six, is, it was Twelfth Night for me. Oh, mm -hmm. shock, horror. I know, I know. All right, James. What's your number five? Number five, Richard II. Oh, all right. Interesting. Justify. I think that my main gripe with this play mm -hmm. is that you have to kind of know history. Mm -hmm. And I don't know anything about that period of history. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't feel particularly like connected mm -hmm. to what was happening. Yeah, I can see that. And I think that's going to be a recurring thing when we move on to any of the other history plays, apart from maybe Henry VIII. Yeah. Which is arguably <laughs> which what you, you said is the worst of them. <laughs> I don't know if it's the worst of them. It's just, it's not a very, um, it's, a, it's a bit like Troyes and Cressida in that it ends at a kind of weird it's In the middle point. of his life. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, it ends with the birth of- It's all of... about his marriage to um, Anne of Cleves. <laughs> no, that would be, that would be skip worse. Skip Berlin, skip the break from Rome. <laughs> No, it, it ends with the birth of Princess Elizabeth, um, who will be Elizabeth I, which would make more sense in like 1600, but it's much later than that. So it's, it's this weird kind of nostalgia thing. But yeah, I, I can see I can completely see that. And there are so many uncles in that play, like yeah. just trying to keep track of who's related to who. And then they all start swapping titles in the second half. And it yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I, I ranked it higher, but I, I can understand. You can get, where, that. I mean, get what I'm, where I'm coming yeah, from here. I can pick up what you're... As, as, a, as a novice. As a novice, yeah. You didn't have the benefit of um, what Umbrain and I had in, in classrooms where we got the family tree sort of drawn out for yeah, us. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I know I have half a history degree, but not, <laughs> not that in that history. period. That's the problem with history. <laughs> this, I mean, actually, too much of it. It's too much history. Just too, much. too much has happened. There's too many you things can't possibly happen. learned it all. Yeah, I mean, there's an interesting debate about like staging history plays, actually, and, and teaching history plays about whether that level of historical knowledge is necessary or not. Or like, what do you like, what do you do if you're putting on a production of Richard II? And um, the answer usually is like just really strong characterization, right? That you can keep track of who people are because the performances are really good. I think judicious cutting can go a long way. Mm -hmm. um, and also like using people's names really aggressively, like making sure it's clear yeah. who people are. Bolingbrook. Bolingbroke. Um, and, and costuming, I think, can do a lot as well. Mm. Like if you see a production and all of the people on Richard's side are wearing one color and then all the people on Bolingbroke's side are wearing another color, yeah, that, that can be helpful um, yeah. in, in production terms. Um, and performances help a lot too, but just reading it, I, yeah, I do think. It yeah, I didn't be. get the full, I think it is one of those, it's harder to kind of explain everything that's happening because you have to also explain the history. And yeah, I think if you're watching it, maybe you can pick up more of the kind of visual clues. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, my number five, I think might be a surprise to you again. Oh, is, you drop in another. Is The Tamer Tamed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Very interesting. Your list is, is. When I. First made the list, it was in the number three spot. Wow. And How then, many times have you made this list? Just well, mentally, you just... I've just been, been thinking about it. I just, yeah, I just, you know, just casually, because since you sort of pitched the idea, I've been kind of casually thinking about it. 
initially it was it was third and then it kept dropping and dropping and dropping. I think because of that one really egregious rape joke. Yeah. Um, and also because I like it and I, I don't, you know, num- you know, number five, it's in, it's in a good spot. Pretty good. Um, but I think it's, you know, if we take it on its own terms versus when we take it as a response to Taming of the Shrew, then the, the sort of misogynometer rating <laughs> shifts mm. a little bit, right? Like if the Taming of the Shrew didn't exist and this was just a play, yeah, I think we would read it differently. Um, maybe that's unfair because it is written as a response to Taming of the Shrew. But, you know, imagine a, a topsy-turvy world where Taming of the Shrew quite rightly was disappeared from history, mm. um, was canceled, if you will. And yeah. Tamer Tamed was still with us. Looking at it without knowledge of Taming of the Shrew, would we feel that it was this kind of triumphant clapback or would we be like mm, actually there's i mean that's a fair point but i'm going to counter that argument okay. by saying like how many times is the sequel better than the original mm. not very almost often. never godfather 2 aliens is pretty good aliens toy story 2 no no not for me i don't remember it to be honest i think I was one, just or three, <laughs> one or three are better than two in my opinion okay if we're if we're, if we're ranking the toy story oeuvre yeah we both need to work i, the also, I also think empire strikes back is better than a new hope that's and last jedi is better than force awakens sorry yeah. star wars bros um but yes as a rule sequels are, are usually usually not they're not as good I, I saw him you know yeah this is this is a rare sequel that is better than the original i'll give it that yes yeah yeah which brings me on to my mm-hmm. number four okay. <laughs> which is <laughs> tamer tame excellent very good very good yeah any anything to add i think that is kind of it yeah uh, it, you know i don't think i think it's got its problems mm-hmm. but i don't know it, it felt more good. like a comedy. Yeah, it is funnier than Taming of the Shrew. Yes, the the comedy holds up better. I think overall. it holds. I mean, that's the main thing. With I think it holds up better. Yeah. I think Taming the Shrew just doesn't hold up anymore very no. well, and all of the issues with it become center stage. Mm. No pun intended. But hey. I think if you're seeing all those problems, it's hard to really like see the the good things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think the problems in Tamer Tamed are less obvious, apart from that very obvious instance. Yeah, and you could you could cut that. You could just cut that. Whereas joke, you, it can't, actually you can't cut Tamer the Shrew into into anything good. Yeah, that's fair. I accept. I accept that logic. Okay, your number four is Tamer Tamed. Mine is Richard the Second. We go. We did yeah, a. We did a little little swap. Little swaparoo. Um, what's your number three, James? A Winter's Tale. Oh, mine too. Interesting. Yeah. I think ours is going to be very similar yeah, at yeah. the top, but for one that we've swapped. Yes. Basically. I think we have the same number one would be my guess. Interesting. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Winter's Tale. Why? I think it. what what I liked about it was it, it kind of felt like it took you on a journey. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It, it, it felt kind of, it had that sense of kind of magic about it. Mm. Um. And it was sort of, was it one of those ones where the genre of it, it, it's sort of not entirely clear. Yes. And I think that makes it quite interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah, it just felt like something that would wrap you up in the story more. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, um, the, the story is really compelling and 
it's quite magical. Like I think the I think I said this on the episode too. Like the ending never misses. When the statue comes to life at the end, it is always magical. Um, mm. And it's really I, I think that is rare. And it, you know, like I my um I'm teaching a performing Shakespeare class right now. And one of my students said to me, she was like, you know, like I don't I don't really love Shakespeare. Like he's not my favorite, but when he's good, he's really good. Mm. Um, and I, I agree with that. I think, yeah, when, when he's good, damn, is he good. And, and the end of the winter's tale is really good. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I like Hermione. I just think, and, and Paulina, I think the, the women in that play are probably Shakespeare's best women characters. Mm. And it has the bear. Yeah. You love the bear. I mean, that's. I'm surprised if not ranked it higher just on bear alone. Yeah, but based on based on random animal with actual. Stage we know time. that's we know that's a criteria I factor into these decisions. James James has been catching up on his uh, classic Disney princess films lately, um, because I made him. <laughs> and I've never seen a, a lot of them. I've He's not never seen. seen most of them. And um, and we we watched. Uh, it's like a cultural education. It is, yeah. It's. I told him you're you're watching my origin story when we watch Beauty and the Beast. Um, the library made sense. The library, yeah. yeah. But his his favorite character in Beauty and the Beast was Philippe, the horse. And good horse. I mean, Flounder is probably my favorite in Little Mermaid. Yep. And oh no, um, Sebastian's pretty. He's a pretty <laughs> solid crab. The fish and the crab. The fish and the crab. The horse. The horse. In, in Mulan, I like Lumiere. You like Lumiere? Yes. The candlestick <laughs> slash man. Yeah. You've you've actually had a soft spot for Cogsworth, which yeah, I was surprised was right. by. He was a pretty good clock. James, <laughs> those of you those of you who know James even a little bit will will probably be aware that he's not really like a rules guy. He doesn't like being told what to do. So I I was very surprised that Cogsworth was a a character that you had any um, sympathy for. Yeah, but there were no rules going on there. <laughs> like there needed to be some order. <laughs> Someone needed to come in and bring order to this enchanted castle. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you saw what the beast was doing at the start. He was completely all over the place. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Soft spot for Cogsworth. He also appreciated the sheep in... Sheep the, were pretty good. The sheep were great. You know, in the... Um, and the town, chickens. The chickens, the sheep. All, um, the, all the bit there's, parts. There's a pig at one point who um, sits with Gaston when he gets kicked into the mud puddle. You like yeah, the pig. Gaston. Oh, he could do one. Yeah. <laughs> he sucked. Yeah. He was, in fact, the villain. That's true, he was. Yep. Yeah. You liked the cricket in Mulan? Oh, the cricket was great. <laughs> Cricky. <laughs> you just liked that he's called Cricky. I do. I like the lack of imagination in his name. Is yeah. So we um we've been on a journey of uh of anthropomorphic animal friends. <laughs> yeah. In in Disney Princess films. Right. Um so Winter's Tale number three. What's what's your number two, James? My number two is Twelfth Night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I, I thought you would like Twelfth Night. I was sort of surprised, I think. Um, I mean, I might be being a little bit generous. I might. I mean, it was very up and down between that and Winter's Tale, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, but I thought I would give, because I, you know, ranked the other comedies so low, I thought, you know what, let's, let's, let's Throw a balance bone. this one out because... <laughs> I think this just worked better as a comedy. Mm. I think that the jokes landed a lot more. It's a lot easier to follow. Mm -hmm. And I just think it it feels more like a rounded play. Mm -hmm. Like it just sort of comes together a lot more. Whereas some of the others, you're too aware 
of him trying to wrap up the loose ends, but they didn't really get that sense yeah. with, with Twelfth Night. And I naturally had an aversion to Twelfth Night because of having done it at school. Ah, okay. So we had so to overcome. I your, had to overcome your natural that. Aversion. But I just think it. I just think it works quite well. And I mean, I, I, granted, I don't have the the kind of knowledge around the play and and um, that that you have that you know you've said is why you've kind of ranked it lower. Mm. But just judging it purely on its sort of yeah as a play, on your exposure to it, I think I think it is it's it's quite well done. Mm. Yes, I I agree with you. I think of of the Shakespeare comedies. Um, it's it's snappier and kind of punchier than yeah the than as you like it, which is sort of a, a corollary in some ways. Um, it's not explicitly about date rape, which Midsummer Night's Dream is. We'll get onto that in a future season. Drunk episode. Drunk episode. Yeah, it's not you know specifically about domestic violence like Taming of the Shrew. <laughs> so I think yeah, in 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 terms of Shakespeare comedies, um, it's definitely up there. And I, like I I have freely said as well, it is one of my favorites. Um, I have I have nice associations with that play, um, although I recognize them. Although you ranked it six, one of my favorites, number six. Okay, number six out of <laughs> out of this list of eight. Is this a strong list <laughs> for the, you? If the list was like King Lear, Midsummer Night's Dream, you're just naming the, the ones you don't like now. <laughs> <laughs> I hate King Lear. Sorry, everyone. Um, right. Okay. So my number two is a play that actually I I love hate. Um, but because I have spent so much time with it, I feel like I have an intimate relationship with this play. I can't rank it any lower measure for measure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, it, it's a love hate. And like, I think, like I said, with Troyes and Cressida, I appreciate a play that is a little bit of a mess. <laughs> and and this one is, but I, I think I've just spent so much time with it over the last seven years since I started working on my research project with it, that mm. I, it feels like a, like a sibling almost. It's like, a part of you. Yeah, it's a part of me. Yes. It's, I've got a relationship with it where I, you know, I have some antagonism towards it. I have some issues with how it chooses to live its life, but also I love it desperately and I would never give it up. So, you know, and I'm going to support it. I don't know. The metaphor is falling apart. It sounds but, like an unruly teenager. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is my unruly teenage child play. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that leaves number one. Wow, big surprise. <laughs> Obviously, The Witch of Edmonton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what did you love about The Witch of Edmonton? Well, it has a, you know, we've established from my rankings here that I like <laughs> things that are very <laughs> wintry and autumnal. Yes. Um, so, uh, I don't know, I like, you know, it's it's got everything. Yes, something for everyone. Yeah. It's and got it's, a dog. It, it's got a talking dog, mm-hmm. who's also the devil. It's yep. got a man falling in a ditch. Yep. It's got a witch. Yes. Witches and ditches. Witches and ditches. <laughs> you know. And dogs and <laughs> and Morris dancing and Can't forget the Morris dancing. And murder. Murder. Yep. It's got Love everything. triangles. I mean, yeah, it really is I truly It has a lot going on. It's got a lot going on, but somehow it all holds together. And um, mm. it's one of the is this something it's what for I everyone want from the theatre. And I'm not someone who like will be rushing into the, the theatre. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not someone who wants anything from the theatre. Um, but it's kind of got what I would want. It's it's kind of feels like it's a spectacle. What You want to go there. Yeah, you want to see some witches. You want to see people getting killed. You mm-hmm. want to see talking dogs. Mm-hmm. It's got it's got the whole shebang. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's really spectacular as a story. It's sensational. It's got and the it's kind of... it's based on a true story. So it's it like is, a true crime element. It is, it. yeah. Really like strong true crime element. Um but very still very playful and i think the characterizations are really strong and um, and i think your your playwrights on that one really are playing to their strengths which is 
good. Like you get the the kind of the type of scenes that Rowley writes the best, Rowley writes, and the type of scenes that Ford writes the best, Ford writes, and the type of scenes that Decker writes the best, Decker writes, and and good old etc. You know, pulling his weight as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it is. It is one of my favorite early modern plays across the board. I think, like just in wow. general, mm. it's, it's one of my faves. And in fact, little plug for not us, but our friends at Creation Theater who have a uh, streamed, uh, a digital version of The Witch of Edmonton that is going to be running in March. Um, We will put a ticket link in our description so you can go and book it if you want because it's not a play that gets produced very often. (laughs) So while it's available, um, it's a good time to to jump on that train and and see it. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, that's our that's our season two ranking. Um, do you agree? Do you disagree? Do you have strong feelings about the, that, those rankings? Let us know. Let us know your ranking. If it's mm-hmm. um, substantially different or the same. Now we have part two of the game. Yep. Where I want to know your top five of the of all the plays we've covered on both seasons. Okay. Let me just write down the ones that we did last season. Yes. So last season we did The Merry Wives of Windsor. Yep. We did As You Like It. Yep. We did The Changeling. Yep. We did Macbeth. Yep. And we did Cymbeline. Yeah, I think that was it. Mm-hmm. I've got mine. Shall I give you a minute to... Uh, oh, it's just... Oh, yeah. And I have to do that. Am I doing them in order as well? Five, like, five, total order? Yeah, five to one. Ooh. Yeah, like a countdown. That's really hard. I know. Number five, James. My number five is Cymbeline. Oh, interesting. Okay. Why why in number five? Um, I don't know actually. <laughs> I'm I'm wondering if I should have put it higher, but I think because there's so much there was so much going on with it, it yeah. was quite kind of batshit that I think it that's a point for it and a point against it at the same okay. time. And I think had you not been able to explain a lot of it, and if I had just gone to the theatre to see those frequently performed <laughs> productions of Cymbeline, yes, I would. What well, the hell is going on? Yeah, but then an eagle would come on, and I'd be eagle. Yeah. Um, so it cracks the top five because of the eagle. I think it cracks the top five because it's again, it's very spectacular, mm. and it's what I want. I want a lot of weird things happening, a mm. lot of drama, like drama, drama, not just people talking in a room, but like right. eagles and fucking gods. You know, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. Wars, gods, eagles. Random Romans. Romans. <laughs> creepy Italians. You know, it's yeah. got it's got a lot going on and it's so crazy. Um, I'm now actually wanting to put it higher, but I've put I've committed it to You've five. You've committed to five. I've committed to five. Yep. You've committed to so five. I'm, I'm, All right. I'm there. All right. I'm for it. I'm for it. Um, my number five is The Changeling. Mm. Mm-hmm. See, I was tossing up between The Changeling and Cymbeline. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. And I gave Cymbeline the edge because it was just weirder. Yeah. I, the and I think the Madhouse plot is a little bit of a letdown for the, the Changeling. Yeah, it is. It is. I Like, you know me, I love the messy plays. Um, the Changeling was the play that I did my PhD about, so I spent three and a half years being very, very intimate with this play. And it's I love it and I hate it. Um, and I think it's it's not higher because it is, frankly, extremely misogynist and, and a total mess, but I have a, a real soft spot for it. Um, and I like, uh, again, I think... Beatrice Joanna as a character is really interesting to me. And I I enjoy, I guess, the nuance of her, that she's sort of the heroine of the story, but also is evil herself. Mm. And, and that um, 
that difficulty that I think modern audiences have and, and maybe audiences at the time too had of, of reconciling someone who's so blatantly bad but is also a victim herself mm. um, and kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in how actors approach it. I'm interested in, in kind of scholarly interpretations of that. Um, and it's a play that I, I keep coming back to. I can't seem to really get away from. So mm. Changeling, number five. Very good. Mm-hmm. Shall I move on to my number four? Yes, let's have your number four. Winter's Tale. Oh, okay. Interesting, interesting. Why? Pretty Just wintry. like it. It's got a bear. Actually, it's not wintry. That's the problem with it. <laughs> it would be higher. It, it would be higher if, if, if there was a, you know, I don't know, a, a snowstorm snow or something. Storm. Yeah. <laughs> a Christmas goose appeared. Mm. Okay. But the bear. Pretty solid. Yeah. So we've had eagle and bear so far. Great. Um, My number four, and I agonized about this, is The Merry Wives of Windsor. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Because the relationship between Mistress Ford and Mistress Page is just so unique. We don't really get a lot of female friendships. It's like a rom com. It's like it's a the rom-com. most like a rom com. It's the most like a rom com, and you know I love a rom com. And, and yeah, it's the only one that's not been adapted for a 2001 teen movie. Yeah. <laughs> Where is our teen movie version of The Merry Wives of Windsor, Hollywood? With Kirsten Dunst. With Kirsten and, Dunst. And, I don't know well, Kirsten Dunst would be like the mom now. That's true. <laughs> no, but I'm saying it would have been set back when they did all of yes, those other ones. Yes, back when they did those other ones. I, yeah, I, do you know what? Almost in spite of myself, I like The Merry Wives of Windsor. I think the, um, I think it has a lot of potential in performance to speak to a lot of contemporary issues. I think Falstaff is a dick, but it's made up for by how cool and interesting Mistress Ford and Mistress Page are. Mm. I want to be their friend. I think they're neat. It's a sort of early modern Sex in the City kind of vibe, <laughs> and, and and I'm here for it. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Number three. Number three is Twelfth Night. A. You like Twelfth Night. I'm I'm glad. Well, I can't I can't drop it lower than <laughs> than ones I've just ranked above it, can I? No, now? you can't. I I like that you like Twelfth Night because I know you had a, a negative experience with it in school. I don't, so I, I don't I'm love it. I just think I it's pitch. well done. I think yeah. is. And if you're going in for the whole, oh, you know, girl just as a boy kind of thing, I think that's that's the one. Mm. I I don't think any of the other instances where that happens and that happens. You know, we've had several times that that has been employed as a mm-hmm. kind of comedic slash plot device mm-hmm. and i think that's when it works best yeah that's so i think what it's trying to achieve i think it it, it does a good job mm. yeah fair fair um my number three is winter's tale which we've already discussed yep. at length but i love so we move up number two now this is where it gets interesting okay okay i'm interested because there are aspects of this play that i like more than number one Okay. But judging it as a whole, mm-hmm. I think I'm putting it number two, okay. Witch of Edmonton. Oh, all right. All right. Interesting. I have a guess as to what your number one yeah. is then. Yeah. Um, all right. Great. But yeah. I can talk about talk- the, so- the, the, what, the, you know, the pros and cons of, 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 of those and yes. when yeah. I move on to number, number one. So my number two is also the Witch of Edmonton. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. It's like I said, I think it's in my top five kind of overall early modern drama. Um, but I, I have a real um, deep and abiding love of, of number one. So yeah. you're number one, James. Number one. I'm sorry. I've gone very vanilla here. That's all right. I've gone for good old Macbeth. I knew it would be. I thought Macbeth's either going to be number one or number two. And I think, I mean, 
It depends on, on how Macbeth is done. Mm-hmm. I've seen terrible Macbeth. I, I know. I was there. <laughs> I, I'm judging it on how it could be done well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I think there are lots of ways to kind of mess it up. But yes. I think if you kind of cut it and you do it in a, a good way, I think as a play, it's just it's just quite a solid. It's just solid, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. It's it's short. It's punchy. It it's gets, got fighting. It's, it's got, got ghosts. Yep. All it's got the, witches. All the great things. It's got betrayal. It's, it's got, got horses that got eat each Flandolf. other. <laughs> it's got <Flandolf>. <laughs> Yeah, I do you know what? I am I am really pleased that Macbeth has been rehabilitated for you through the podcast because I know you have some some past Macbeth trauma. <laughs> it, partly, and I think also from seeing is it Kurosawa? Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, Throne of Blood. Throne of Blood. I think it just works well. It, it's sort of a story that it feels like it's quite specific but it also it, it translates into yeah it, it's sort of a do you know what i mean it, it can work in being told in a number of different ways and yes. i think that makes it quite interesting yeah yeah no with a, a thirst for power and an over ambition I th- I mean, to be fair i think that one is one of the ones where that claim is probably more valid as compared to other plays that feel very specific to where they're set and what they're written about yeah i mean well look at look at the world we live in right now right yeah. like ambition and and desire to hold on to power is responsible for a, a lot of really bad decisions yeah <laughs> in the in the current moment and i'm sure most most current moments and i like the trees i know you love the trees you love the the walking forest yeah yeah and it, actually the the kurosawa version of that scene um, for those who don't know akira kurosawa's film throne of blood um from 1957 is a Japanese adaptation of Macbeth set in um, samurai feudal Japan and it's very very good and very scary um like a really really leans very into moody. the yeah it's very moody yeah. and and spooky and the the Burnham Wood scene I think is the best version of that scene I I know of mm. I really really like it mm. and it's it almost never misses with students as well it teaches really well but I will say it was quite close. Mm, yeah. And I like the, the, I think the kind of witch element is better in Witch of Edmonton. Yes. That's what I was, you know. Okay. But, yeah. Fair. But because Macbeth isn't really about the witches per se. No. You know. Yeah. And, a, a and I, of... I mean, I like, I like the, I think the devil is very good in uh, Ed, uh, Witch of Edmonton. I think yes. it's, it's sort of, in some ways it's sort of scarier in terms of the supernatural aspects of that play. Yeah. But in terms of the human aspects of Macbeth, yeah. it's almost scarier because it's, Macbeth it's not is, the devil isn't making people do make, make bad decisions. It's people's own greed. Yeah. And in some ways that you could say can be scarier. scarier. Yeah. Macbeth is more, I guess, sort of psychological horror, we'd say now. Yeah. Right. Like if you were going to do a, a TV series based on Macbeth, that would be more. more it's like The Shining versus The Exorcist. Right? Yes. Yes. Although actually that the Kubrick Shining, I should say. Yeah. The Shining <laughs> book is, is very, it's, it's quite supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, one of the things that that always comes up um, when I teach Macbeth is the is the kind of tension, I guess, in the performance history of that play between productions that are more sort of psychological and cerebral and are and are about the kind of um, the decline of the Macbeths in um, in psychological terms versus the ones that are more about kind of the spectacle and the the spooky kind of horror side of it um so we in class often i'll show different versions of the banquet scene particularly like when banquo's ghost shows up is that very spectacular is there an actual ghost that appears mm-hmm. or is it all in macbeth's mind or what are the you know what are the different choices that productions make around yeah. showing us the ghost or not and what does that say about how they 
interpret the play. Is it more of a psychological drama or is it a kind of boo ghost horror um, or yeah. somewhere in the middle? Mm. Um, it's Yeah, it's interesting. My number one, I think, predictably, probably, is Cymbeline. Ah, mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Measure for Measure didn't quite crack the top five overall. I It was, you know, it would be number six, I think. Um, but yes, uh, and, and Macbeth mm. would probably be number seven. But Cymbeline, I just, I just love that play. I just think it's mm. great. It's, I think, you know, where Troilus and Cressida does not feel like a deliberate experiment with form, I think Cymbeline feels more intentional in the way that it's it's messing around with things and and giving us variations on tropes that we see elsewhere in the period. I think Imogen is a great character. I think she's really interesting and I think her kind of journey through the play is is done well and it just again it's one I keep coming back to. It's one that that always has something different to say to me and I like that. Mm. And you know I like a messy play. Yeah. Yeah. I like a mess. So yeah. Those are my the top 5s overall. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, James, we have um, a little announcement to make, don't we? We do. We do. So at the end of season one, we did a little poll on Twitter. We did a little Twitter poll tournament. Um, and we asked our listeners to choose plays that they would like to see us tackle in season two. And that tournament ended in a tie, a dead yeah. heat, 50-50 between two Middleton plays. <laughs> Surprisingly. <laughs> Surprising everyone. Yep. <laughs> two Middleton plays, a chase made in Cheapside and Women Beware Women. We had we could not break the tie on this. Um, and so we said that we would do them both. And for that reason, we are kind of wrapping up season two here, but we're going to have a mini season of those two audience choice Middleton plays. So we'll have a chase made in Cheapside with a very special guest, Dr. Brandy Adams who was an amazing choice for many reasons, not least because she actually understands all the Latin in that play <laughs> and was was able to kind of translate it for us and, and help us understand a lot of the jokes. Um, and also she's just a, a chill person to talk to and hang out with. And we will have Women Beware Women, um, which will be just James and I, because um, that's one of my favorite plays as well. So we'll have some fun with that. Mm. Talk about messy plays. We're, <laughs> we're about to get into some mess. Um, but those will be coming out uh, relatively soon. We don't have an exact date yet um, because editing takes time and we both have full-time jobs um, and we're just doing this for fun. Um, but we will have that Middleton mini season coming soon. And then after that, we need your help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You beloved listeners, we um, need two things from you. One is to please review the podcast. Yes. Um, we haven't pushed this too much because it's just something that we do for fun. And we've always thought as long as we're entertaining ourselves and somebody's listening, great. Um, but we found a review recently, like the only written review of the podcast that <laughs> we know of, <laughs> that literally was just one word, trash. Yes. No, we're aware that we're a trash podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we take nothing seriously and we are proud of it. However... If you like what we do, we would love to hear from you yeah. um, and we would love to to kind of have those reviews out there as well and hopefully yeah. attract some new listeners and, and grow the podcast a little bit more. Yeah, or just a rating. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just the, an, an Spotify iTunes. recently added. Yeah. You can add ratings on Spotify Although we're now. not encouraging people to go on Spotify because fuck because Joe Rogan. Rogan. Um, but you, I, yeah. iTunes, <laughs> Apple, um, any, anywhere that you get your podcasts, they usually have a little five-star rating system. Just click however many stars you think we deserve. Um, and we would be really, really grateful for that because um, that helps us in terms of in terms of growing the podcast and, and being mm-hmm. able to continue doing it. 
The other thing we'd love to know is what do you want to see next? Mm -hmm. Um, And what about what we already do? Do you like? Are there any things we do that you're like, that bit is annoying. Please stop doing that. (laughs) Are there particular plays you really want to see? Um, How do you feel about the misogynometer? (laughs) We um, yep. We, we want to know we've kind of we've done two seasons sort of just doing what we feel like. Um, and we feel like we're at a point now where we'd, we'd like some more input from our beloved audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have I covered it? I think you have. Yes. Um, yeah. So that is season two. Join us soon for Middleton, Middleton. mini season, <laughs> season 2.5. Exactly. Um, yeah, we'll be teasing that really, really soon. And we'll look forward to to hearing what you want to see from us in season three. All right. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Catch you anon. You've been listening to Not Another Shakespeare Podcast, and this is our pre-recorded outro. If you liked this episode, please review and subscribe. If you hated this episode, maybe share it with a nemesis. You can follow us on social media at Podcast or check out our website, nashakespearepodcast.com. Thanks for listening and see thee next time. And fare thee well.